right, well, hi again. Uh, I really enjoyed being out here, uh, sitting out here with you guys and worshiping with you this morning. It has been a really long time since I've gotten to do that. Um, so if you are new to Community Bible Church, my name is Joseph, I'm one of the pastors here, and normally I'm leaving the stage at this point in the service. Normally I've been up here uh, playing music and leading worship, and, uh, and you see someone else coming up here right now. Um, but Pastor Matt is away with our friends at uh, Ocean Park Bible, uh, Baptist Church out at the beach today. He's preaching for them. And so we have gone all the way to the very bottom of the depth chart this morning. And here I stand. <laughs> um, but it was really good. Seriously, it was, it was so good to, um, to be out here worshiping with you guys. And I just want to thank the, the band and the team that was up here um, for, uh, for doing such a great job in leading us to behold and respond to Jesus and, uh, and holding out the gospel and the glory of Christ to us. Uh, we're going to spend a few minutes in John 15 this morning. That's where we're headed. Um, there is no passage uh, in all of Scripture that's had a more formative impact on me than John 15. Um, in fact, it's had such an impact that I put it on my arm. That's where this tattoo comes from, is this passage of John 15. Um, so when Pastor Matt asked me to preach, I thought after five and a half years here, it was finally time to preach this text. <laughs> uh, so I am, uh, I am really excited to dive into this together and spend a few minutes today uh, considering the truth of Scripture here in this, uh, in this passage. So let's look at the first 11 verses of John 15. Jesus is here speaking to his disciples um, the night before his arrest and trial and crucifixion. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the last of uh, seven I am statements that are recorded throughout the Gospel of John. These are instances where Jesus, in teaching his disciples, um, will say things like, I'm the bread of life, or I am the good shepherd, or I am the way and the truth and the life, or here in John 15, I am the true vine. And then he spends some time expounding on uh, what that metaphor means about himself. He tells us really important things about who he is and about what he came to do. Um, so when he says here in John 15 that he's the true vine, there's all kinds of theological significance. And his disciples, as he's teaching them, they would have heard all kinds of theological significance and implications. Um, so just for a little bit of background, uh, in, in the Old Testament, this image or this language of a vine or vineyard is used often to describe um, the people of Israel. 
This is a nation that God has called out for himself. And as uh, God's vine or vineyard, they're supposed, to, um, they're supposed to bring forth fruit, as good vineyards do. But the Old Testament is filled with stories time and time again of Israel failing to, uh, to measure up to this identity as a vine. They're not a good vine, not a fruitful vine or a fruitful vineyard. Um, they fail to be healthy. They fail to bear fruit. And so Jesus is giving a new paradigm when we get to John 15. The paradigm goes something like this. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeds. Israel, as this vine, is supposed to bear fruit, and they're supposed to be the, uh, the location, if you will, of the covenant blessings of God for his covenant people. They didn't do it. Now Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. What Israel was always meant to do, what they've been pointing to, is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is now the location of all of God's covenant blessings and covenant promises for his covenant people. And that's actually, uh, that's really good news for us, because I don't think most of us in the room, maybe some, but probably not most of us in the room are of Jewish heritage. So it's good that the location of God's covenant blessings is no longer a, a national ethnic people, but it's a person, Jesus. Because now all of us who aren't connected to an, an ethnic people can participate in all of, all of the covenant blessings of God. That's really, really good news. <laughs> because we've been united to Christ, we inherit all of those blessings, all of those promises. We are God's covenant people. That's incredible. And that's just theological background. That's just theological foundation for what Jesus is actually going to teach about. We could spend a lot of time this morning and far beyond digging into all of the, all of the theology of that, why that's important and what that means. But he's not teaching us, uh, and he wasn't teaching his disciples in John 15, about necessarily just this theological category of our union with Christ and what that means uh, for our place in God's covenant promises and blessings. He's actually teaching about the practical experience of being united to Christ. So that's some, some background, that's some theological foundation. Now we want to talk about what this actually means. What does this actually do? How does it uh, flesh out in our uh, normal Christian life? He's going to do that through a second and more prominent sort of application of this metaphor of vine and branches. And he's going to say that Jesus is the true vine, and we, his people, are branches connected to him. That's signifying our union with Christ. There's an expectation of branches that are connected to a living vine or a living tree. What's the expectation? They grow fruit. That's normal. <laughs> Verse 2 unpacks this. Unpacks two kind of, ang kind of angles at this. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We're going to come back to that. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So here's the expectation. If you, as a branch, are connected to Jesus, the vine, you bear fruit. And we get that, right? Like That makes sense to us. Sometimes when the Bible uses these um, agricultural metaphors, it can feel a step removed from us because we don't live in an agrarian society. We live in an industrial, or I guess at this point it's like a post-industrial society. So sometimes agricultural metaphors feel a little distant and we have to unpack them. I don't think this is one of those. Like this kind of makes sense. We live in Florida. We've got orange trees all over the place. I've got one in my back, actual, it's in my neighbor's backyard, but it comes into my backyard, so I get the oranges. 
which is awesome. <laughs> and side note, the branches in my yard grow a lot more oranges than the ones in his yard, so I don't know how that happens, but I'm thankful for it, and I'm excited about it. <laughs> but anyway, we live, we got, we've got orange trees all over the place around here. Um, what happens when, an, when an, a branch is connected to a, like a living orange tree? Like it grows oranges. That's just the normal uh, expectation. It's an unavoidable, uh, unavoidable reality. Um, does, it, does it grow oranges because the branch is thinking, I got to try really hard and pop out some oranges today. It's November, so this is like the time when like the citrus is supposed to bloom. I come from the north, so this whole like fruit flourishing in November and December is still really weird to me. But it's cool. Um, so it's time for like the citrus fruit to grow and flourish and bloom. And does the branch go, all right, that means it's like got to step it up and grow some oranges. No, like the branch has nothing to do with it. <laughs> the branch is just connected to a tree. The life of the tree flows to and through the branch and it grows fruit. That's what happens. It grows oranges because it's connected to an orange tree. Verse 4 draws this parallel to us. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Connection to, D- to Jesus, connection to the vine, causes us, the branches, to bear fruit. Branches naturally grow fruit because they're connected to a tree. And they bear the fruit of that tree. That orange tree doesn't suddenly start growing bananas or growing apples. It grows oranges because it's connected to an orange tree. And like the life and power of an orange tree is flowing to the branch. The same thing happens to us. It's a really, honestly, it's a really catchy uh, metaphor, isn't it? (laughs) As a branch that's connected to the vine that is Jesus, we start to grow fruit that looks like Jesus. We call that Christ-likeness. What does that look like? Well, the New Testament is um, full of descriptions and some lists of what that might look like, but I'll just uh, go to one um, that some of you are probably thinking of. This is called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So it's the same metaphor, fruit. They're using a little bit of a different, uh, a different wording or verbiage for it, but it's the same thing. This is the fruit that grows from people in people and from people who are connected to Jesus because the power and life of Jesus is at work in them by his Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is the same fruit that we're talking about in John 15. Here's what it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's not extensive, but it's pretty broad. (laughs) Pretty inclusive, isn't it? And it sounds a lot like Jesus. That's the kind of fruit that's going to start to be born naturally in a Christian's life because we're connected to the vine. The life of Jesus is at work in us to produce fruit that looks like Jesus, just like the life of the orange tree flows to the branches and it grows oranges. If we've been united to Christ, our lives are going to start to reflect those kinds of characteristics more and more over time. In John 15, Jesus is telling us that it doesn't happen because of our power or our effort, but because the life of Jesus and the power of Jesus is at work in us. Now, that doesn't preclude effort. It's not produced by our effort, but it doesn't preclude our effort either. Because likewise, the New Testament is is full of calls for us to strive hard after holiness, to strive after obedience, 
It's hard work. Here's what uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 describing this process. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but also in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's, that's like really intimidating and almost scary. Because <laughs> that sounds like the onus is on us, doesn't it? At first blush, the onus is on us to produce fruit. The onus is on us to do the things that happen to someone who's united to Christ. But here's how he continues. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you know what that tells us? It tells us that even the effort that we are called to, the striving after good works that we're called to as Christians, even that is just a fruit of being connected to Jesus. That's created and grown and fostered by being connected to Jesus. That's the only way we even want to do it. It's the only way we have the first shot at it. (laughs) So it doesn't take away the responsibility to work hard, to like strive after Christ-likeness, but it tells us that even that isn't, isn't something that you create, you conjure up on your own. It doesn't happen of your own volition or, or power. It's Jesus at work in you to create the desire and the ability to bear fruit, to work out our salvation. That is really, really freeing, isn't it? Because all of us, all of us, have a little legalist in us that says, you gotta work a little harder, you're not doing enough, or God might not love you so much today. It's not how it goes. Jesus is at work in us so that our lives cannot do anything but start to bear fruit. And now we pursue that in the power and grace of Jesus from a place of being loved and accepted by God instead of trying to pursue his love and acceptance by our obedience. That's freedom to live the Christian life. So there's absolutely effort on our part But even that is birthed from our connection to Christ, our union with Christ. It's his life and his power flowing through us, working in us, and then working out of us that produces fruit. But now we got to go back and look at the second half of of verse 2. There's a second statement. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, referring to the Father, who he, in this analogy, is going to refer to as a vine dresser, who's caring for the vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. Verse 6 says it even more strongly. He cuts them off of the vine, gathers them up, and throws them into the fire to be burned. That's a, a clear and pretty intense reference to eternal condemnation. And it begs some important questions. Because at first glance, again, we read John 15 and we go, so wait a minute. I can get connected to Jesus And then if I don't bear fruit, I get cut off, like I lose the connection to Jesus? And it should make us ask, what part then does bearing fruit have in our salvation, in our union with Christ? Is it it actually participating in that? Does it help me secure it and hold on to it? Can I lose my union with Christ if I don't bear fruit or don't bear enough fruit? And the answer to that, to all of those questions, is a resounding no. The New Testament is full of, uh, of statements about the, we call it the eternal security of believers, telling us that 
You didn't do anything to gain your salvation. You can't do anything to gain your salvation. And you can't do anything to lose it. Let's look at a couple that are just right here in John's gospel. Because I don't want you to just take my word for it. We want to see that the Bible says what we say the Bible says, right? Um, We have this principle in Bible study that says we compare Scripture to Scripture. So we're going to read John 15. We're going to ask these questions. And then we're going to say, what does the rest of the Bible have to say that might help us to understand what Jesus is saying? In John 15. So here's John 6. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. In the context, he's referring to believers, those who repent and believe and follow Jesus. I lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. That's a pretty strong statement about the security of our salvation in Christ, isn't it? Here's what he says a couple chapters later in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Nothing can happen to a Christian, and we can't do anything as Christians to... uh, like earn our way out of our salvation, to earn our way out of the love and forgiveness and grace of God. It's not possible. The Bible is is abundantly clear about that. You didn't do anything to get it. You can't do anything to lose it. That's the work of God in us and for us. So what Jesus is saying, I, I think the best way to understand this is that if there's no fruit, you've never actually been connected to the vine. Sometimes it looks like we are. And Jesus talks about this back in John 6 as well. And I think I'm going to go back here and read a couple of verses about this. He talks about people who are around him, around his teaching. They're interested in in some of his teaching, but they're not actually interested in Jesus. Um, So he's just fed 5,000 men and probably at least that many women and children with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And he goes across the sea, and everybody follows him there the next day. And here's what he says to them. He says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So there's this whole category of people that are around Jesus, to put it in our terms, they're like around the church and around the Bible and around like gospely stuff, but they're not actually about any of that stuff. They're kind of following Jesus for what they think Jesus can do for them or what he can give to them. Does that sound familiar? There's a lot of that today too. There's a lot of that. There's a whole bunch of, there's, there's like churches and leaders and preachers and ministries that are built around a false promise that if you just like say yes to Jesus, he'll heal your relationships, heal your family, heal your body and sicknesses, or he'll bless you with lots of money and give you the car and job and house of your dreams, or he'll help you to reach your full potential and do, and, and do everything you've ever dreamed to do. Just say yes to Jesus, and that's what's ahead of you. And that's not what the gospel promises. Jesus says, if anyone wants to, come, wants to come after me and follow me, he's got to take up his cross and deny himself and die to himself. That's the call of the gospel. That doesn't mean that God never gives us really good things. He does. And the Bible says that too. God delights to give good gifts to his children. 
So for lack of a better way to say it, like God likes to do nice stuff for you and give you, he, like, he likes it. He's a good father. But he hasn't obligated himself to that. And that's not our expectation. And it certainly is not the reason we're supposed to follow him. But there's a whole kind of category of people that Jesus is addressing here in John 15 that want the, the, the perceived benefits of Jesus without actually wanting Jesus. And that's not the same thing. So there's an appearance of a connection to him, but there's no fruit. And as Jesus has described, the fruit is the evidence, the unmistakable evidence of our connection to him. So those who are around Jesus-y stuff, but don't want Jesus, they want the benefits, but they don't want him, eventually that bears itself out because there's no fruit and they, they demonstrate that there's been no actual connection to the vine. So we can take heart um, in the fact that if we are truly connected to the vine, if we have truly been united to Jesus, there will be fruit. We don't fit in this category of no fruit so that are cut off, thrown into the fire and burned. That's not going to happen. If you're connected to Jesus, the life of Jesus is flowing through you and the fruit will come. I think that leads to another question, at least, honestly, this, this raises this kind of question in my mind and probably for some of the rest of us too, to say, uh, how much fruit do I have to bear? Like, what, is it, what does it mean to, to bear fruit? Because honestly, sometimes I don't feel very fruitful. Or I look around and I see people that look a lot more fruitful or their fruit's growing a lot faster than mine. You have that experience? And if, if, that, if we let that fester, that starts to, to uh, cause us to doubt the work of Christ in us and maybe even doubt our connection to the vine, right? But the measure, here's the good news, the measure is not how much fruit. The measure is fruit. It looks different for everybody. Sometimes it looks different at different stages of our lives. Sometimes it looks different one week to the next, right? <laughs> like our fruit, the, the fruit is not always grown at the same rate in the same ways. That's not how God works. He is sovereignly working our sanctification exactly the way that he wants to so that we bear the fruit that as Jesus has said in John 15 uh, is evidence that we are his disciples. He says that as you bear fruit, you prove to be his disciples. The fruit is the demonstration that we're truly connected to the vine. And the measure is not a ton of fruit. The measure is, is there any fruit? Uh, there's a passage in Mark chapter 4 as Jesus teaches what's called the parable of the sower that I, I want to um, read from that helps us to understand this. Uh, so the analogy is a little bit different, but there's a principle about um, the growth of fruit and the bearing of fruit that connects and that helps us to... Uh, unpack John 15 a little bit more. Here's what he says in Mark 4, 8. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain or produced fruit, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So in Mark 4, in the parable of the sower, um, Christians are not referred to as branches. It, there's different types of soil. And those who truly repent and believe and follow Jesus are called good soil. And so he's planted seed this is the word of God. This is the truth of the gospel. And then the good soil, the seed takes root and it starts to grow. But does it grow the same way for everybody? No. Some yield fruit 
30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. That's literally exponential difference in how different people bear fruit. And the sovereign plan of God, I don't know how that works, but he's at work in us slowly and over time to, uh, to create in us the kind of fruit that he desires us to bear and to grow that demonstrates our connection to Jesus and brings glory to Jesus as it reflects Jesus. That's also comforting. It saves us from this ditch over here of constantly looking at everybody else and saying, am I bearing as much fruit as they are? And if I'm not, what does that mean? God is not that concerned about how you measure up to somebody else. He's concerned that you bear fruit. He's not looking at the, the branch that bears fruit 30-fold and going like, can't you get to 60-fold? Like, look at them over there. It's a lot better. And the 60-fold, he's not going, yeah, but you're at 60. That's pretty good, but that's 100-fold over there. Like, let's go. <laughs> he's sanctifying us in the ways and at the pace that he wants to. There's going to be more and more fruit over time. But the question to ask is not, do I look like, like the next person? The question to ask is, do I have fruit that evidences my connection to Jesus? He says that back in verse 5 of John 15. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no fruit apart from Jesus at work in you and apart from being connected to him. That honestly, while that comforts me on one hand, it also frustrates me uh, because I ask the question, why doesn't God just finish the job like tomorrow? Why is there this process of bearing fruit 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold? I don't understand it. I don't think we can understand it. It would be really nice, wouldn't it, to just have no more sin, no more temptation, no more struggle tomorrow. I would love that. I would love that for some of you. Wouldn't that be great? That's not how God does it. And we rest in the sovereign plan of God. That's not how I would do it if I were setting up the plan. But my plan would be wrong. Because God does all things well. God is at work in us to grow the fruit that he wants us to bear at the rate that he wants to work. Sometimes that feels like two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. But he's at work in us. And that only happens because of our connection to Christ and the life and power of Christ at work in us. So take heart. If there is fruit, the Lord is at work in you and he will continue to work in you to multiply your fruit. You will bear more and more. You will look more and more like Jesus. And the Lord promises to prune us to bear more fruit. He said that back at the beginning. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. And pruning is painful. If you know anything about the process of pruning, it's the removal, the stripping back of pieces of a plant that are going to uh, hamper its fruitfulness. Pruning is not pleasant, but it's good, and it's necessary, and it's healthy, and the Lord is going to keep on doing that so that we do grow to bear more and more fruit over the course of our lives. The question isn't how much fruit, the question is fruit. And the Lord's going to continue to create and produce and cultivate more and more and more. Isn't that encouraging? Our Father is constantly at work in us, pruning us to make us more like Jesus. We heard about that a couple weeks ago from Romans 8 in our Golden Chain series. He's working all things for our good, 
all things for our sanctification, our growth in Christ-likeness, until we eventually reach glory. And we're perfectly like Jesus, and there actually is no more sin or struggle. So what are we actually supposed to do? We're connected to Jesus, and when we are connected to Jesus, we bear fruit. But there's this word that keeps popping up 10 times in 11 verses in this paragraph. So it's pretty important. That's telling us what we're supposed to do as a part of this whole process. And it's actually pretty simple and straightforward. It's the word abide. It's at the center of what Jesus is teaching in this passage. And I think that we can accurately and, and faithfully say that this idea I'll unpack this, but this idea is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. This is the essence of the Christian life. It's at the very center of who we are and what we do as the people of God. It's how we actually experience and grow in our union with Christ, and it's the way that we bear fruit. So what does it actually mean to abide in Jesus? I don't know a lot of Greek, but I know just enough to be a little dangerous and unpack a couple of things. So I can tell you this word that gets translated abide or depending on the translation you're reading, maybe remain, is too big of a word for one English word to, uh, to grasp and communicate. It's this huge idea um, that really captures like, the idea of making your home somewhere. So when Jesus says to abide in me, what he's telling us to do is to make our home in him or to make him our home. Take a second and think about what that means. Think about what home means. Not all of us have necessarily come from uh, great home situations. Um, but if you have, and certainly the way we think of, of home as an ideal, home is the place where we are the safest, where we're probably the happiest, the most loved, the most comfortable, the most protected, the most at peace, the most ourselves of anywhere in the world. That's kind of the idea of home, right? Uh, we even hear this when, uh, when people will talk about uh, a person that they love being like their home, right? There's a really good like, folk love ballad called Feels Like Home, and it says, it, it feels like home to me. It feels like I'm all the way back where I belong, speaking to someone. That's what we mean by home. So what Jesus is saying is he's supposed to be that place, that's what it looks like practically to live out the theological reality that we're connected, to, we're united to him. We make our home in Jesus. Home has a lot to do with who we are and with our identity, doesn't it? I've actually found this to be uniquely true in Jacksonville in some really cool, interesting ways. Um, so like I said, okay, I'm not from here. I'm from uh, Wisconsin. And so I moved to Jacksonville five and a half years ago. And I found that like every neighborhood and every suburb around Jacksonville has a really unique flavor and culture and feel and kind of like a, a vibe to it. And it's, it's awesome. And there's a sense of um, like community identity around it that I had never experienced. I think it's a really cool thing. So if I tell you where I live, I tell you I live in Venetia, you're already like thinking some things about what I must be like or some of the things that I enjoy or value. You're thinking some, some stuff about me. And the same thing happens if you tell me that you live in Fleming Island or um, Ortega or Oakleaf or Fleming, uh, uh, Middleburg or whatever. Take your pick of the, 
Take your pick of the, the neighborhoods around, um, around Jacksonville. And it's not good or bad, better or worse stuff. It's just, it's just stuff. And it tells you something about, um, about the person because the, the community identity is like part of the reason you move there. And when you move there, you start to assimilate more of the identity that attracted you to it, right? Does that tell us something about what is, what's happening in John 15? Doesn't that sound an awful lot like being connected to the vine and bearing fruit? We make our home in Jesus. Jesus becomes more and more over time our place of life and joy and rest and trust and hope and peace and identity. And we start to assimilate to Jesus. <laughs> we start to take on more of the, just hang with me for the metaphor, but like the culture of Jesus, the characteristics of Jesus. Because we made our home there. We find our rest there. We find our joy there, our life. That's what happens when we abide in Jesus. That's the way that we uh, live out and grow in our union with him. And we start to look like him. That's the way that we bear fruit. But there's another thing that happens as we uh, abide in Jesus, as we make our home there. And that's found in verse 11. As he finishes off this statement, he says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. As we make our home in Jesus, this is almost too good to be true. Almost too good to believe. As we make our home in Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the joy that the Trinitarian God of the universe has in himself we get to participate in that. We get to share in that and experience that. And in that, our joy becomes full. It's abiding in Jesus that we experience the kind of joy that God wants us to experience, that he designed us to experience as people made in his image. And every single one of us and every single human being who has ever existed in the history of the world is pursuing that kind of joy and that kind of meaning. It's what we are all after all the time. Theologians and philosophers and academics will talk about this as the good life. They'll say that everyone is chasing their uh, kind of vision, their, their, their idea of what the good life is. We actually know what it is. The good life, the life of true joy and contentment is knowing God through Jesus. We get that as we abide in Jesus. There's no other way to experience that outside of fellowship with God. This is why I said earlier that abiding in Jesus is at the center of the Christian life. It's the essence of, of who we're called to be and what we're called to do as Christians. Because it's in abiding in Jesus that we bear fruit that glorifies God, and it's in abiding in Jesus that we experience the fullness of joy, as Psalm 16 calls it, that's only available in fellowship with God, in communion with God. That's the heart of being a Christian. The Westminster Shorter Catechism starts with the question, what is the chief end of man? What's the answer to that? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Does that sound like what we just talked about? Our purpose, the purpose for which we are created, the purpose for which we are saved and called as the people of God is fulfilled by abiding in Jesus. That's what we do. So practically, like, how do we pursue making our home in Jesus? 
The short answer and the Sunday school answer is pretty much get in the Bible. If we're going to abide in Jesus, we need to know Jesus. And as we, we uh, grow in our knowledge of Jesus, we're going to grow in our love and our joy and our trust and our worship of Jesus. That's what abiding in Jesus is. So that's the short answer. Saturate yourself in the Bible because that's where we behold Jesus. That's where we know Jesus. That's where he's revealed himself to us. And the more we behold him, the more we're going to love him, the more we're going to worship him, the more we're going to rest in him and experience this true fullness of joy. Uh, We need to intentionally worship. Fill your heart and your head and your mouth with songs that communicate these sorts of truths. Songs that communicate who Jesus is and what he's done and help us to grow in uh, head and heart. This is what songs can uniquely do. They can connect to our hearts. Help us to grow in head and heart and our love for Jesus. Uh, Pray. That's exercising our communion with God. That's part of making our home in him. Uh, John 15 would give us one that's a little less obvious. And that's actually in bearing fruit. Part of the way that we know Jesus and abide in Jesus is by obeying him. Here's what he said in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So as we abide in Jesus, that, that produces more fruit in us. And then the more fruit that's produced, the more we obey, it actually helps us to abide in Jesus more. Here's another one. They just get tougher as we go. Suffering. We talked about pruning. Suffering is one of the ways that we know and abide in Jesus. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 said that he, he counts it as all joy, counts it of surpassing value to know Christ Jesus my Lord in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's not easy to read. It's really not easy to actually say. But one of the ways that we're going to grow in our connection to Jesus, one of the ways that we are going to be, uh, we're going to abide more deeply in Jesus is when we suffer with Jesus. And we suffer in some small way like Jesus suffered. That helps us to know him. It helps us to abide in him. And it produces fruit in us. So there's suffering. That's a part of this path of abiding in Jesus. And then finally, one, one note. Um, if we're going to do this, we need each other. We're not meant to walk this path of the Christian life and not, we're not meant to uh, abide in Jesus by ourselves. Our union with Christ, as I mentioned at the beginning, our union with Christ unites us to each other. That's the reason that we're united to each other because we're with a whole bunch of people in this room right now who are united to Christ. So we all are connected to the same vine. And, and one of the primary ways that God wants us to grow in our connection to Christ and in our fruitfulness is, is with each other. It's through mutual exhortation and edification. We need community. We need people who are going to help us to do the rest of these things that we can practically do to abide in Jesus. We need people around us uh, on a regular, honestly, on like a regular basis. This is a normal part of our lives who are going to help us to be in the Bible and about the Bible, who are going to help us to worship, who are going to help us to behold and treasure and respond to and trust in and rest in and enjoy Jesus. So if you don't have a lot of people like that, find you some. There's a whole bunch of other people in the room right here who will walk that with you. 
We need each other to, to pull this off. That's how, God, uh, that's how God works among his people. So maybe you're with us this morning and you're not a Christian, and we're glad that you're here if that's you, and we, uh, we plan for you to be here. So some of this probably sounds a little bit odd to you, and that's okay. Uh, or maybe you're hearing this and uh, realizing that, that you've maybe made a profession of faith. You've been around Jesus, but there's never been any fruit, and maybe you're not actually connected to Jesus. The good news is uh, you can have this sort of connection right now. You can be united to Christ right here, right now, this morning. If you repent of your sins and put your faith in the finished work of Jesus, in his perfect life and his sacrificial death, you can be united to him where you're sitting. And if you've got questions, if you're not sure what some of this means and you want to explore it a little bit more, come and talk to me. I'm going to be outside uh, by these front doors at the end of the service, and there is nothing I would rather do at the end of this morning than talk to you about how you can get connected to Jesus this way. But Christians, abide in Jesus. Pursue him, know him, rest in him, love him, worship him, trust him. It's in that that we're going to bear the fruit that glorifies him and experience fullness of joy that's available in him. Let's pray. Father, you are good beyond our wildest imaginations to make a way for us who were by nature children of wrath, sinners opposed to you, to make a way for us to be united to Christ and perfectly loved and welcomed by the God of the universe. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in our union with Christ to foster the connection that we have in him, to abide in him more and more deeply. And in so doing, we pray that you would create and produce and, and grow in us much fruit for your glory. And we pray that we would get a taste uh, and experience of the fullness of joy that you've made available to us and that you want us to have in knowing Jesus. Do this all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.